May the Lord be with you. Think for a moment about some of the visions of the eternal kingdom of God that we are given in the scriptures. Revelation chapter 5 says that in the eternal kingdom of God, that God's people will sing this song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Christ hymn in Philippians Paul's letter to the Philippians promises that one day, when Jesus is exalted to the highest place, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There is much that could be said about these visions of God's eternal kingdom. But what I want you to take notice of for this morning is the way in which they describe the kingdom of God as a place where the boundaries that typically divide us from one another are brought down in Christ. Boundaries of language, of race, of ethnicity. In the kingdom of God, these things remain, but they are no longer boundaries between us as human beings. In these visions of the eternal kingdom of God, the boundaries are brought down as humanity comes together under the authority of Jesus. Part of our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, which speaks of the work of Jesus on the cross to destroy the boundaries that come between us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read just a couple of those verses again. Ephesians 2, I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he, uh, by which he put to death their hostility." Have you ever thought much about Jesus' work on the cross in this way, accomplishing what Paul says it accomplishes? As evangelical Christians, we have reflected deeply on Jesus' work on the cross uh, as a work that made it possible for, for me and for you to have our sins forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God. As individuals who have sinned and who have fallen short of God's plans and purposes for us, we can be forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross. And because of that work and in response to that work, we talk a lot about how we're called to live a life of holiness in order to reflect that forgiveness that we've been given. But we've not, perhaps, thought deeply enough about the work that God has done in Christ to destroy the boundaries that exists between us as human beings. 
And how because of that, that we should respond by seeking to live out that unity between us as God's people. In Ephesians 2, Paul speaks about the work that God has done in bringing together Jews and Gentiles, these two groups of people who throughout history and continuing into today have been at war with one another. In Christ, Paul says, they are brought together. This is an expression of the heart of God. It is an expression of what God is intending to do in his eternal kingdom that we heard in Revelation chapter 5 and 7 and that we hear in the Christ hymn. It is the passion of God to reconcile all people together through himself. This is the heart of God. It is a vision of the eternal kingdom of God, an expression of God's passion to reconcile the world to himself through Christ by tearing down the boundaries that we have erected that divide us and that keep us from fellowship with one another. Now, we are presently spending a few weeks slowly dwelling in Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 is the story of Jesus sending out 72 of his disciples to go into the surrounding towns and villages to proclaim peace and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So maybe you're wondering what Ephesians chapter 2 and this talk of Jesus breaking down the barriers that exist between us as human beings, what that has to do with Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10 is very clearly a text that has to do with missionary work about Jesus sending missionaries into towns and villages. So what does that have to do with this vision of God's eternal boundary-breaking kingdom? Well, last week we focused on the message that Jesus sent uh, sent his disciples uh, to go with. This message of peace and a message that the kingdom of God is near. A message of peace and a message that the kingdom of God is near. And we talked last week about how this message of peace and that the kingdom of God was near did not only go with words, but was also accompanied by certain action that reflected that peace and that reflected that the kingdom of God was near. Jesus called his disciples to be a people of peace. Jesus called his disciples to go into these towns and to heal the sick as an action that displayed the reality of their words an action that displayed the reality that the kingdom of God is near. Go into these towns and villages proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near and then heal the sick as an action that pointed to the truth of the present kingdom of God. This morning we're going to look at a second way that the disciples were called to go and display the message that the kingdom of God is near. And that is in the way that these disciples were called to go and cross boundaries in order to proclaim this message of the kingdom. Jesus himself was the great boundary crosser. His whole life from beginning to end was about crossing boundaries. Uh, Consider the incarnation itself. God's eternal purpose and plan was to become flesh and to live and dwell among people. This is the ultimate boundary the boundary between God and man, between the infinite and the finite, between the eternal and the temporal, God overcame those boundaries in Christ. 
In Christ, God brought the divine and the humanity together so that now, forever, God and man dwell together in unity in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? That God and humanity are forever unified, eternally united in Jesus. That's the New Testament message of the resurrection and the ascension, that Jesus, God in the flesh, was raised to life and ascended into the heavens to the right hand of God the Father, where together in Christ, God and man are forever reconciled. This is why Paul so often uses the phrase, in Christ, to speak about our experience of salvation. Because as we are in Christ, we participate in the divine nature and take on the character of the divine nature, holiness and righteousness and eternal life. In the incarnation, we see an expression of the heart of God to cross the ultimate boundary, the boundary that exists between God and man, and he brought them together. In his life and ministry, we read in the Gospels that Jesus over and over again crosses boundaries. In the Gospel, one of the things that Jesus is most criticized for The one thing that no doubt led for him to be crucified on the cross was him crossing boundaries, entering into the homes of sinners, eating with tax collectors, sharing a table with prostitutes. Jesus, in his ministry, crossed boundaries that people did not expect him to cross. And it was in his willingness to eat with sinners, to invite those of all social and economic classes to enter into his life and ministry, his willingness to allow a prostitute to kneel before him and wash his feet, his own willingness to become a servant, to cross the boundary from master to servant, and to kneel in front of his own disciples and wash their feet. All of these actions were a reflection of the heart of God to reconcile the world, to cross boundaries through his own life and ultimately through his death. And now in Luke chapter 10, Jesus calls 72 of his disciples and calls them to go and do the same thing that he saw, that they saw him doing. In every teacher-student or master-apprentice relationship, there is a process that a teacher and a student go through. The teacher will teach the student something. The teacher will then show the student something. And then the student will do that thing that the teacher is trying to teach them to do, and the teacher will watch him do it, and then the teacher will send the student on his way. As an illustration of this, I want to use my friend Trent, who is here today. Uh, Trent is my best friend from high school, and he is one of those weird people who is very good at math. Trent is very good at math. In fact, I'm not sure if I would have passed pre-calculus if Trent wasn't my friend. Now, Trent is a math teacher in Indianapolis, and he coaches his school's Math Counts team. And Math Counts is uh, an international math competition for 7th and 8th graders. Now, Trent, when he was in high school, he competed in Math Counts, and he was pretty good, right? Nationally, you were, what, 24th, something like that? Did a pretty good job. But he is now teaching Math Counts students, and this year he had a student named Chad. And over the last couple years, Trent has no doubt taught Chad a lot of things. Trent has taken math problems and he has shown Chad how to think about them and how to solve them. And Chad has listened and he has watched. And then Trent has given math problems to Chad and Trent has watched as Chad solved these problems. 
And finally, Trent sent Chad to the National Math Counts competition this year, and Chad came in first place in the nation in the Math Counts competition this year. The student has become like his teacher. In fact, in this case, the student has far exceeded his teacher. This is the way of a teacher and student relationship. This is the way of a master and apprentice relationship. All of you can think of ways in your own life when you have been trained in this way, when you have been taught something and then you've watched how that was done and then you did it while your teacher watched you and then your teacher set you free to go and do it. This is exactly what's happening in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is seeking to make his disciples, his students, like himself. He is teaching them to be able to do the same things that he does. So Jesus has taught his disciples about what the kingdom of God is all about, and they have listened. Jesus has shown his disciples what the kingdom of God is all about as he has went and crossed boundaries and has healed the sick and has freed people of oppression. And now as he is their teacher, he sends them out to do the same thing that he has been doing. Jesus sends out the 72 and he tells them that they are to go and to do all of the things that they've seen him doing. They are called to go and to enter into these towns and villages just like he did and cross over social and economic and language and cultural barriers to enter into the lives of others with this message that the kingdom of God is near. So in Luke chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, where do you see missionaries crossing boundaries in this text. I think it's all over the place. Simply in their willingness to leave their hometowns and to go into these villages where they will encounter strangers, people who they do not know, and to enter into their home and to receive hospitality from them. And Jesus doesn't tell them to go into a town and find some people who are a lot like you. He tells them to go and to find people of peace, people who may or may not be anything like them but to go into these towns and villages and cross these boundaries and enter into people's homes and to find a person of peace. Where else in this text are disciples expected to cross boundaries? Well, twice in this passage, Jesus says to them that they are to go into people's homes and to eat whatever is placed before them. And Jesus says this two times. It's the only command that he gives them twice. Eat whatever is set before you. The implication here is that they are to go into these homes and to welcome the table fellowship of all kinds of people. Eating together is always a sign of fellowship and unity. That's true of our time today, but it was even more true in Jesus's time. When you went and shared a meal with someone, that was an expression of fellowship, an expression of solidarity, expression of unity. When you ate with someone, you are saying to that person, you are my friend, we are on the same level, we have the same status together, we share in one another's reputation. They were called to go into these places and to eat whatever was placed before them. And as Jewish men going into these cities, this creates the possibility of even eating something that they would have considered unclean. And yet Jesus tells them to eat whatever it is that is set before you. In Luke 10, Jesus tells them to cross the boundary that exists between the healthy and the sick. This is a boundary that exists for us today and was certainly a boundary back then. Sickness and disease carried a huge stigma, and often people who were sick and ill were forced out of the community 
were not allowed to enter into the community out of fear that the community had, that they would receive that sickness. The disciples were to go and to cross that boundary and to be in the presence of those who are sick, to take a risk of becoming sick themselves, to become unclean themselves as they went into the presence of these sick people to heal them. In Luke 10, Jesus is giving instructions to the disciples to go and to follow his example. You have watched me cross these boundaries that people put between one another And now I want you to go and cross them as well. Go with a message of peace and a message that the kingdom of God is near. And this boundary crossing work has been the work of God's missionary people throughout history. As we follow the example of Christ, we are called to be boundary crossers. Jesus' great commission is a call to go into all the world to make disciples. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God enabled, uh, came on the disciples, it enabled them to cross the boundaries of language in order that they could proclaim the gospel to men and women all over the world through the power of that Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is shocked when he receives a vision from God telling him that he should go into the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and eat with him. Peter, even though he's been following Jesus for years, is shocked at this calling to go and to eat with Cornelius. He's still surprised at the radical nature of this boundary-crossing mission that God has. And it's been the work of missionaries throughout history and today to enter into the cultures of people, to eat what is put before them, to dress like the culture around them, to learn the language and the customs in order to proclaim the gospel in a way that could be heard. This is the work of God's missionary people. The vision of the eternal kingdom of God that we heard this morning from Revelation is a vision of people from every tribe and tongue and nation joining together under the authority of Jesus. This is the eternal kingdom that God is creating, according to Ephesians chapter 2, through the sacrifice of Christ. And as we heard today, these 72 were sent into these towns and villages. They were sent to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near and that this message was to be communicated with words and also communicated with action. The kingdom of God is near. Turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and I want to show you how this message was lived out in action among the disciples. Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. Luke writes this. He says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is a remarkable three verses when you sit and think about what Luke is communicating in these three verses. Jesus was going from town to town proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and going with him from town to town is perhaps the oddest group of people that the world's eyes could have ever imagined. Think about the twelve disciples who were with him and the great diversity among these twelve. Twelve disciples included a few fishermen, 
people likely of the lowest socioeconomic class. There was also a man named Levi, who was a tax collector, likely a very wealthy man, but also a man who would have been considered a traitor by the Jewish people. Uh, Even if a tax collector was an honest man, he was collecting taxes for Rome, who was the Jewish people's enemy. And alongside this low class of fishermen, and also this tax collector, is a man named Simon the Zealot. Now the Zealots were people who would take up arms in order to fight Rome, to try to overthrow their power in Israel. Simon was a part of this group of people called the Zealots, people who we would think today as either terrorists or freedom fighters, depending on which side you are on. So people like Levi, the tax collector, a traitor to the Jewish people, hanging out with somebody named Simon the Zealot, they would have been mortal enemies. Zealots despised any Jew who would have worked with Rome in order to collect taxes. And that's just a description of 12 of them. Luke here includes a description of some of the women who were following Jesus around at this time, women who had been healed of evil spirits. And he mentions three of them. One of them is a woman named Mary Magdalene, who we know uh, was a prostitute before she came to Jesus. Another woman was a woman named Joanna, who was the wife of a man named Cusa, who was a manager of the king's household. This was a woman who lived with the king, who is now hanging out with fishermen, tax collectors, Simon the Zealot, and prostitutes, traveling around Galilee, going from town to town, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Can you imagine this picture? This is an incredibly diverse group of people. A group of people coming from a wide range of economic backgrounds, from fishermen to families who associated with the king. A group of people from a wide range of ideologies, from a zealot to a tax collector, men who would have been mortal enemies. And this group of people become the display, exhibit A of the kingdom of God. The group of people that reflect the boundary-crossing heart of God. As Jesus goes from town to town with this very strange group of people following him, he is saying to everyone, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, then take a look at this group of people that are with me. This is a picture, an illustration of what my kingdom is all about. This group of people is what my kingdom is all about. And Jesus takes this very strange and diverse group of people, 72 of them, and he pairs them up and he sends them off on a mission together. I really wonder how Jesus divided them up. Did he put Simon and Levi together, I wonder? as just one more very clear picture of the way in which his kingdom is breaking down the boundaries that divide one another. The people of God themselves, those following Jesus, become the visible manifestation, the outward expression of the words the kingdom of God is near. In the kingdom, there are no boundaries that divide us, but we have all come near in Christ. He died in order to make the two one, destroying those things that divide us. Ebenezer, we are called, like the 72, to go into the world as missionaries. We have been invited as those who are part of God's mission as those who are students of Jesus, who are being made like Jesus in our lives, to be willing 
as God's Spirit leads us in our own life to be willing to cross boundaries that would be much easier to keep up between us. And I suggest to you that as we are a church in Vancouver, B.C., that we have many unique opportunities to do this. I mentioned last week uh, about the series of articles that the Vancouver Sun ran on the research that was done in our city, uh, a survey, an extensive survey that was done uh, on our city. This research was done by the Vancouver Foundation, and it reflected some very sad truths about our city, in in particular about the ways that citizens of our city feel isolated from one another, that Vancouverites typically do not trust their neighbors, and that loneliness is one of the main things that characterizes citizens of Vancouver. Now, one of the things that we are very proud of as a people and that this survey reflected, one of the things we're very proud of is our racial and ethnic diversity. And that in this city, the people come from all over the world and live in relative peace together. But one of the interesting conclusions about this research was that our diversity as a city is also one of the main reasons why people feel isolated from each other. It's always difficult to get to know your neighbors, no matter where you are. I grew up in Seymour, Indiana, and everyone looked like me and talked like me and basically thought a lot like me. And it was still difficult to get to know your neighbors. Well, how much more difficult is it in a place like this when you have to cross so many different boundaries in order just to have a conversation with your neighbor? It's a challenge. And so one of the conclusions of this research is that while Vancouverites are very proud of their diversity and they value diversity, that in fact that that is one of the very reasons why we are a lonely city. It's interesting, I think. So as we think about this reality of our city, is it not a great opportunity for us who are students of the great boundary crosser? Isn't this a great opportunity for those of us who have been filled with the same spirit as Jesus, the great boundary crosser? Isn't this a great opportunity for those of us who know that in the very heart of God is this desire to reconcile people together to one another and to bring us into true unity under the authority of Christ? Recognizing our calling knowing that this is our calling as boundary crossers, we are invited to pay attention and to enter into the lives of our neighbors and to do this very, very hard work of boundary crossing, to develop relationships and to extend hospitality to those with whom it would be much easier for us to remain separate from. But to enter into these relationships knowing that we are being led and empowered by the Spirit of God That this boundary crossing isn't just a nice, neighborly thing that we should do, but that it comes with the Spirit's power. That this work of boundary crossing is a part of the work that God is doing in the world, in fact, as a reflection of what God intends to do for all things in eternity when his kingdom kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you, as members of Ebenezer, are called to do this work of boundary crossing. And as you are a part of this church at Ebenezer, you have a unique opportunity to invite people into a community that is reflecting the kingdom of God in a very real way. The boundaries that we overcome when we come together to worship are not insignificant. They are very real. 
all of us feel them as we have tried to get to know one another as a church family and have found that we often run up against language and culture and differences that make it a challenge, and yet we continue to come to this church, this local body, believing that this is part of our calling, part of the way that we reflect the kingdom of God. We want to reflect the kingdom of God where every tribe and tongue and nation come together under the authority of Jesus And we are striving to reflect that here at Ebenezer. We have a long way to go. No doubt, we reflect the kingdom of God very imperfectly. But even if we reflect it imperfectly, we do reflect it still truly. There are ways in which we see it. And so our church is a place that can be for our friends and our neighbors who feel lonely and isolated from one another, can be exhibit A of the kingdom of God to our neighbors.